Aristotle, the famous Greek philosopher, once famously wrote that the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. You ever experienced that? I think we all have at some point, right? You, you start a new job, and you, you get going, and you start to get some good knowledge. Maybe you, uh, you end up um, going out and, and, and maybe learn a new skill. You take on a new hobby. You, you start something new. And you get a little bit of confidence. You start feeling really good about yourself. But then all of a sudden, something happens, and your confidence just plummets. And you realize, well, I, I actually don't think I know what I'm doing at all. You know, I think about maybe when you, when you had your first child or, or um, you know, you're pregnant and, and you go and, and you just read all the books you can read and you find out all the things you can find out. You talk to grandma, you talk to Aunt Susan, you talk to everybody you can and then the baby comes and you realize I'm up in the middle of the night trying to change diapers, trying to make a bottle. I have no, and I can't get the baby to stop crying, I have no idea what I'm doing. Or maybe you're getting ready to do a home improvement project and you've, you've got Bob Vila on speed dial. You've watched every Homes on Homes HGTV episode you can find. You pull off the cabinet and you see the electrical mess behind you and you think, wow, I have no idea what I'm doing. And often what happens to us in those moments is we get discouraged. We felt good, confident, and we get discouraged and we go down hill. I remember when I was in seminary, uh, in, in seminary you just, you, you learn so much and you, you feel like you just know everything. I can tell you every element of systematic theology you needed to know. I can walk you through the Romans road. I can solve every problem with a Bible verse. And then you get out and you, you, you go in to start serving at local churches and you start answering questions and you realize, wow, I actually don't know that I know anything <laughs> at this point. You know, there was a couple psychologists that came up with what's known as the Dunning-Kruger effect. It was sociologists um, or psychologists, David Dunning and Justin Kruger. And they had this theory that there's this point when we start to learn things, we gain some knowledge, and our confidence shoots up. And they call this, uh, this confident rise, uh, I've got a graph to show you here, the peak of Mount Stupid. So as you begin to learn some things, your confidence grows early on, and you find yourself at this peak where you think you know everything. Parents, if you have teenagers, they're probably on this peak right now. But then something happens. You, you realize you don't know what you thought you knew, and you end up going downhill to what they call the valley of despair. So, so you felt good, but now you realize you didn't know what you thought you knew, and you're living down at the bottom of the valley of despair. But thankfully, what the, these psychologists found was as your knowledge and experience grows, slowly your, the arc of your confidence begins to climb up to a point where you can actually reach what they call the plateau of sustainability. It's really interesting. If you think about how that plays out in your own life and some of your own experiences, you know, I think sometimes when it comes to our faith and our walk with Jesus, we've been on this, this graph. We get these moments in life where we start to really feel good. We get some knowledge built up. Our confidence gets really high. We maybe feel like we're just killing it, crushing it at life. And then something happens. Something happens. Sin sneaks back in that we thought we had won, had victory over. Something happens in life where we get super down and get discouraged and whew, we plummet down to the valley of despair. And for a lot of us, when it comes to our faith, we never really gain the knowledge and experience to get out of that valley. And we end up living on the lower arc, never working our way back up. And I wonder, could that be the reason that a lot of us who have been Christians for some time aren't really experiencing the fullness that the Bible talks about when it comes to following Jesus? Could it be that we just aren't getting it? And it's not a confidence issue. It's a knowledge issue. 
So what would happen if we began to build on ourselves, we began to, to combine enough knowledge and enough confidence so that we could grow in our faith to where we start living out our faith to see more wins than losses? Is that even possible? According to Jesus, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. If you're with us last week, we kicked off a new series called Clarity, and we're talking about what our mission is as a church. God has called us on this mission as, as we're in this post-COVID world, as we're moving our way into what the new normal is going to be. God has refreshed a mission in our hearts to help lead people to experience new life in Jesus. That this new life, there's a fullness that's available. It's in Jesus. And, and that God is calling us on mission to lead people to that. You know, we said last week, Jesus says in John 10.10 10, that he has come to bring the abundant life. That his abundant life is available. And now that mission is for, for you and I to, to lead people to it. But not just to lead other people to it, to, to lead one another to it, but also to experience it in our own lives, to experience it ourselves. And so we said that our, our, our mission is, is a lot like a roadmap. You guys remember we talked last week about going on summer vacation. And so picture that roadmap. Pull up Google Maps on your phone and type in where you're going to go. Uh, like we said last week, we're going to Mount Zion in Utah for summer vacation. So that's your, that's your mission, where you're going. And we said our vision is what we're going to do along the way, but your strategy is how you get there. And so I share with you guys a little teaser at the end of the uh, message last week that our, our strategy for how we're going to get to this place is this. We're going to know, grow, serve, and go. That as a church, we believe that, that we can't get where we want to go unless we truly know God personally and we know ourselves. And as we begin to know God and know ourselves, God grows us into becoming the people he wants us to be. And so we begin to experience this new life that we have in Jesus. And that spills into our relationships. You know, Jesus was asked, uh, what's the greatest commandment? You know, a, a lawyer Ask Jesus, Jesus, what is the most important thing? What do we need to know when we follow you? And I think from our perspective, looking back, we can say, Jesus, what are the things that, that symbolize what it looks like to follow you? What does it mean to live out new life that you bring? And Jesus says this. He says that, that you are someone who loves God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. That there's this internal growing of affections for Jesus in our life. And we, and we asked last week, what would our lives look like if we began to live upward? We began to grow upward. We began to pursue growing in this ever-increasing affection for Jesus. And as we do that, we ask the question, Jesus, what is it that stirs my affections for you? And what is it that robs my affections for you? Because I want to get rid of the things that rob it and lean into the things that stir it. But there's a second piece to this great commandment that Jesus gives us. He says this in verse 38. He says, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So he, not only do you love God, but you also need to love your neighbor as yourself. So there's this living upward, but there's also this element of living outward. I'm, I'm loving my neighbor as myself. But I want you to notice something. There's a qualifier right here. The qualifier to love your neighbor is to love them as yourself. And so it seems like Jesus is talking about self-love, that there's this element of loving ourselves involved in living out this new life in Jesus. But what does that look like? How do I truly come to know myself enough to love myself? 
You know, it's interesting. If you look at the Bible as a whole and you look at the teachings of Jesus when it comes to this idea of like self-love, you don't really see Jesus talk a lot about self-esteem or self-confidence. More you see Jesus talk about this idea of like denying ourselves. You know, if you look back at the teachings of Jesus, you see Jesus say things like this. If you want to follow me, then you have to deny yourself take up your, and take up your cross. Or Jesus will say, if anyone loves his life, he needs to lose it. Or, or, or this one really jumps out at me. If anyone comes to me and does not even hate his own life, then he can't be my disciple. And, and so we, we, try, we try to reconcile this. Like Jesus used all this talk about self-denial. And, but then you tell us we need to love ourselves? Like, how does that work? What, what comes together in this? How, how, how do we reconcile the two? And um, I think Paul does a good job of helping to explain this for us. And in Colossians 3, I'm not going to put the verses up. You can go look at it later. But in Colossians 3, Paul says this. He says that we need to, we need to put to death, we need to put away all anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. We need to stop lying to each other. Seeing that you've been, you've put off the old self, so denying the old self. Notice this with its practices. Verse 10, Paul says, and put on the new self, that's who we are in Jesus, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Now notice that, being renewed, being, being made new in knowledge of God. See, see catch that. See, Jesus is telling us here that, that self-love isn't this idea of self-centeredness. That sometimes we, we think it could be that Jesus isn't telling us we need to be self, more self-centered. No, he's going to tell us we need to pour ourselves out into the lives of others. Jesus is telling us that, that self-love looks in, in, in many ways like self-denial. But self-denial is not self-hate. Jesus is telling us, and, and Paul here specifically is telling us, that we need to get rid of these things in our lives. Why? Because they're bad for us and they prohibit us they, or they inhibit us from living this new life that we have in Jesus. So we're not supposed to be self-centered. That's not loving ourselves. But, but hating ourselves isn't, isn't right either. There's this picture of a self-love that comes, as Paul says, from being renewed by a knowledge of who God is and who he says we are. So I think that's our, that's our, that's our journey today is to figure out, God, how do I learn to love myself? And how do I, how do, I do this right? Because I think if we're honest, we, we live in a world where there's, there's not a whole lot of self-love right now. We, we live in a world where, where there's a message that you need to love yourself, but we see skyrocketing numbers of depression and anxiety and, and, and loneliness and all kinds of things. And so there's not a whole lot of, lot of new life happening around us. And, and so we have this message of Jesus that we need to take. That's the message of new life. But you and I, we need to experience that new life in our own lives. We need to walk in that new life. So how do we do it? If Jesus tells us that the, the thing that we are and the people that we are and the people we are becoming are people who are ever growing our affections for Jesus, then that means that we need to know God personally. And if that is true, then wouldn't it make sense that if I'm going to love the person God created me to be, then I need to know myself personally too? I think Jesus would tell us the answer to that question is yes. So what does that look like? James tells us in James chapter 1, he gives us this beautiful picture of what it looks like to, to know yourself so that you can grow and that you can come to, to, to love the person God has created you to be. So if you have your Bibles, let's grab those. And we'll look in James chapter 1. 
John Calvin, the 16th century reformer, he, he writes this. He says that our wisdom, insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. So, so there's this, this picture that we need to, we've got to know God. We've got to know who God has to say we are. And that's what James is going to talk about here in James chapter 1. So look with me. James 1, just three verses, uh, verses 23 through 25. Here's what James says. James, the brother of Jesus. He says this. He says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and, and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. So forefront, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, let's pray. Father, thank you for the words of James here this morning. We thank you for uh, the words of Jesus that's... Uh, as we talk about this great commandment and how do we live out this new mission you've called us on and what, what this looks like in our life. Father, we pray that uh, as we hear your word today, help us to learn to be doers, not just hearers. Help us to learn to, to, to look at your word and help to us to, to know you personally, to know you more and more, but to, to know ourselves so that we can uh, be people who, who love ourselves, so that we can love our neighbors like ourselves. And so, Father, speak to us through your word. Lord, I pray for those that Without power this morning, I pray for those um, who, who um, have been kind of stranded this morning in the snow. I pray, Lord, we pray for those that, that uh, are, are currently living outdoors that, that don't have um, warm shelter. Lord, help them to find a warm place this morning. Uh, Lord, just guide us and, and direct us uh, this week to, to keep our eyes on you so we can become the people who are, are looking more and more like Jesus and, and living out the new life that you've called us to live. So, Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want you to notice something here in James chapter 1. James gives us these two pictures. It's really two examples. One person that's a hearer, but not a doer, and one person who's a doer. And notice what he says here. He's making this argument about hearing and doing the word of God and how there is a difference between the two. See, see, notice that in reality, there's a difference. That God's word says this about us. God's word says this is how we should live. But, but then there's the reality of how we're actually living our lives, right? And so there's this gap. There's always a gap. The question is, are we embracing the tension of that gap and letting God inform us of who we are? Because let's be real, none of us are nailing it right now. None of us are batting a thousand when it comes to what God says and how we're living in our lives. Some of us are hitting Ted Williams-like marks, right, over 400, which is great. Some of us are below the Mendoza line. And if you're a baseball fan, you know it's not very good. So we, we got to embrace this tension of, of the, di the distance, the, the gap between what God says about us and, and actually how we're living our lives. And this is what James is talking about here. He's saying that we need to stop. We need to be honest with ourselves and learn to, and come to know ourselves, what God has to say about us. Look here back at verse 1. He says this. He says, for, anyone, if, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and once forget what he's like. Jesus is saying that you and I have a bad tendency to be spiritually self-unaware. And, and he gives us his picture, or J James gives us his picture. He, he's saying that, that it's like somebody who, who walks up to a mirror and looks to themselves and, and sees themselves, but they don't really see themselves. You know, it's like you kind of check the mirror real quick and just make sure you're, you don't have any crazy eyebrow hairs or whatever going on, and then you just go out the door and go to work. 
Jesus is saying, or James is saying that, that, that when, when we do that, we're hearing God's word, but we're not actually doing God's word. We're not actually letting it uh, uh, impact us, and we're not coming to know who we are by, by looking at the mirror of God's word in our own life. And we do this, and I think we might not realize we do this, but just think of the way we interact with ourselves. Think of all the things we do to interact with ourselves throughout the week. You know, um, maybe you are the kind of person who, who avoids yourself. You, you avoid looking in the mirror because you don't want to see what the mirror has to show. You, you avoid looking in the mirror. Why do you do that? Because you don't like what you see. You don't like the person that you are becoming. And, and so you, you would just rather turn it off. And not see what's going on and just, pl- just turn to a blind eye. For others, we adapt. We, we look in the mirror, we don't like what we see, so we try to portray what we think other people are going to want to see. So we adapt the way that we are and, and hope that people are going to like us and want to be our friends and w- want to give us promotions and do all these things, but it's not really us. We're not really dealing with who we are. We don't really know ourselves because we're trying to be somebody else. See, for some of us, we, we accept ourselves. And I know what we're trying to do here when we accept ourselves, but what we end up doing is we end up pushing ourselves backwards because we say, well, this is just who I am. This is just a struggle I'm always going to have. I'm just going to accept it and move on. And we never really come to know why. We never really come to know how we can overcome that in our lives so we can live out this new life in Jesus. So we end up, we end up avoiding, adapting, or accept, accepting. And let me ask you this. If I am avoiding, adapting, or accepting myself in my own life, Am I loving myself? See, I'd say no. Because I'm not coming to the point where I'm truly coming to know myself and truly learning to be the person God has created me to be. So I would say no. We're not loving ourselves at all. So, so James says that we need to avoid adapting, accepting, and um, avoiding ourselves because that's not going to ever grow us into becoming the person Jesus calls us to be. And it's never going to help us to truly live out this new life that we have in Jesus. So what will? Notice what James says. He says, don't be the person who looks at God's word, who looks at the mirror and walks away, not knowing yourself any better, but instead, look at verse 25. Be the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but what? A doer who acts. And what does he say? You will be blessed in his, not hearing, but doing. See, James says the only way to truly know yourself is by looking at yourself. And notice what we're looking at. Notice what he says. Look back. He says we're looking at the law of liberty. Now, now what's the law of liberty? What, what is he talking about? See, James is here is talking about the gospel of Jesus. That, that he's, he, he's telling us that the law of liberty isn't this law that tells you what you need to do. You need to do these two or three things. The law of liberty is the freedom that comes from knowing Jesus. It comes from the good news of Jesus. Paul says it this way in Romans 3.27. We need to look at the law of faith. And so James says that as we look at it, as we look at Jesus, as we look at the good news, then God shapes us, he he forms us, he he transforms us into the people he wants us to be. And he helps us to start living and experiencing that new life. But it comes from knowing ourselves by knowing what God has to say about ourselves. Last weekend, I was... uh, Asked to, to do a wedding for a family friend. It was a beautiful ceremony. We had a great time down in Colorado Springs. Um, but I, I went, 
I, I realized that over this last year, over the course of the last 12 months, my, my, my suit jacket had shrunk. So I don't know what was going on, something's going on in the air or, or out there, but it was a little tight. So I went to the men's store and went in and, and got a new suit jacket, and it, it looked great. Uh, kudos to those guys over there uh, in Belmar. They do a great job. Uh, but if you've ever been sized up for a new suit or you ladies, you go out to get a new dress for a wedding or for an event, you guys have probably noticed when you stand at that trifold mirror, you look the best you've ever looked in your life. Like there's just something magic about that mirror that you're standing at. And the lighting's perfect. And, you know, you put your jacket on. You guys have been there, right? You're looking you're like, man, this looks good. Like I got taller. I got slimmer. Man, my skin looks great. Like, man, I'm going to be ready for this wedding. And then you get it home. You guys know what I'm talking about? What happens? You're like, man, this doesn't look like it did. Something unless they gave me the wrong jacket, right? This, this, this doesn't fit like it's supposed to fit. See, there's something magic about those mirrors, and there's a light show going on there. But you know what? The law of liberty, Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's no magic show. There's no magic lighting. There's no magic mirror. The law of liberty, when we gaze at it, when we stare at what God says about us, you know what? It doesn't make us believe that we look a certain way. You know what it does? It tells us the truth. It gives us the real opinion of what God thinks about us. It helps us to see what we actually look like. And that's good news, my friends. Because sometimes it's going to hurt. And sometimes we're going to see what it has to say, and it's going to sting and we're not going to like what it has to say. But what it's doing is it's being real with us. And that's what we need. We don't need somebody to puff us up. We need somebody to, to speak truth to us. And when we look at the law of liberty, it, it may show us the messy parts. But, but James is saying, rather than walking away, hang in there, persevere. Because when you do, when you keep looking at it, you are allowing it to shape you and to form you. One of my dreams someday is to, uh, to become a blacksmith. I want to put a little forge in my garage or in the backyard and, and, and make knives, make swords, whatever it is, right? I, I just, it just sounds fun. It just seems like a, a fun hobby. I, I eat up the forged and fire shows uh, like it's going out of style. And, but what I, love about, um, what I love about blacksmiths, what I love about the making of uh, something beautiful like that is they, they take a piece of steel. You guys have seen this, right? You take a piece of steel, jagged edges, rough edges, and they put it in the fire, and they heat it thousands of degrees. And they put it on the anvil, and they clamp it down, and they hammer it into shape. And then once it's hammered into shape, then they, then they quench it. They quench it in the, in the oil, and, and they pull it out, and there's this beautiful piece of steel that's been shaped, and it's been formed and molded into the creator's design. This is the picture that God is giving us. This is what looking at the law of liberty does to us. It, it, it heats us up, and it holds us, and God hammers us, and then he quenches us. And it's this process over and over as God is changing us from the inside out. He's turning us into something beautiful. And, but as he does, he's smoothing our rough edges, which is what we all need. See, this is what gazing at the law of liberty does. And, and when I stare at what God says about me, when I, when I stare at who God is, and what he says about me, you know what it does? It shows me my weaknesses. It shows me my rough edges. And it helps me see where God is working in my life. It shows me where I need to grow. And by the grace of God, the longer I do that, my rough edges change. Praise God. My rough edges are different now at 39 than they were at 29 and 19. And by God's grace, my rough edges will be different when I'm 59. 
This is what God does when we stare at his word, when we look at who he is and we stare at what Jesus did for us. And when we see those things that are, that are in the way, that are, that are messing us up, that are throwing us off, we just take those and lay those at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, change me and shape me. But you will never get there unless you're staring at the law of liberty, at the word of God, at what God has to say about you. Now, if you're like me, your temptation at that point is when you start to feel that tension is to want to wanna ignore and run away. Your temptation is to try to, again, avoid, adapt, right, accept. And, and, and you end up walking away, and it's like looking at that mirror and walking away. But, but James is telling us that as we, if we stay in there, if we persevere, when it gets hard and when it gets tough, something happens to us. Because when we do that, we realize that, yeah, I might be messy. Yeah, I might have some rough edges. Yeah, I don't like what I see sometimes. But I am the saved, redeemed, restored son or daughter of God. That, that I'm not finished yet. That God is still working in me. That God is shaping me and molding me and changing me. And yes, I'm far from perfect, but you know what? I am loved. And, and because I am loved, I can overcome and conquer anything that's coming in my life. It, it, it's because of this that we can believe the words of Paul in Romans 8, where Paul says this in Romans 8. He says, what shall we say then? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who, who's going to condemn us? God is the one that justifies us. God is the one who speaks life and leads us into this new life in Jesus. And, and this, my friends, is why Jesus came. Why Jesus stepped out of heaven to bring the kingdom of heaven down for you and me so that we can experience this new life in Jesus and no longer be controlled by, by our, our self-centeredness or no longer be controlled by this fact that I just don't like what I see and I'm trying to avoid, adapt, and accept or accept. But I can lean into that, into that gap between who God says I am and who I see that I am, embrace that tension, and let God grow me into becoming the person he created me to be. And here's the beautiful part. When I start to do this, when I start to realize that God is the one who's working in me and through me, something beautiful happens. I, I realize that my love for myself is not formed by how great I think I am. That my love for myself is not formed by me trying to build myself up or give myself self-esteem or make myself feel better. My, my love for myself is not formed by tearing myself down, by talking about how much of a, of a blundering mess I am. My love for God is formed by realizing that God loves me and seeing that God sent Jesus for me, that God created me for a purpose to live a life that I was meant to live. And I can love myself because God loves me. And God has created me to be something that he knows I can be. And so as I lean into that, I learn that. It changes me and helps me live inward. And God changes me from the inside out. And as James says here, the person who perseveres by looking at Jesus to love themselves in a way that doesn't avoid, adapt, or accept is someone that God is going to lead into living new life, to walk in this new life we have in Jesus. And it's a beautiful picture. So Forefront, this is our mission. This is the mission that God has called us on, to, to be people that, that live inward, that live outward, that are growing upward, that are walking in this new life in Jesus. But let me ask you this. Forefront, it, how can you lead somebody else to experience new life in Jesus? if you aren't even experiencing it yourself.
See, God wants us to experience that new life here in our hearts and in our minds, in our souls, as we're ever growing in our affection for Jesus and experiencing that new life by living inward in who he's created us to be. I recently got invited to be, a, uh, be part of a pilot leadership program that our church, one of our church networks is putting on. And uh, if we like it, they're going to roll it out to all the church networks. And, and so it's really been great. It's, it's been so um, enlightening and it's helping really me grow um, as a person, as a Christ follower, and as a leader. And, and we've learned this leadership principle. Some of you may know this. It's called Know Yourself to Lead Yourself. And this idea in leadership is that you can never truly lead others unless you lead yourself. But it comes to our faith as well that, yes, we're following Jesus, but if we're not leading ourselves to become the best version of ourselves, then, then we're going to get in our own way. We need to allow margin and space for the Holy Spirit to work inside of us. So as we're going through this, I'm going to put the graph up for you. As we're going through this paradigm um, of know yourself to lead yourself, I found something out that I, that I never knew. And you guys probably all knew this already, but, but this blew my mind. When, when it comes to your tendencies as a leader, as a person, as a Christ follower, as a parent, when it comes to your tendencies, you actually can't change your tendencies. But you can change what you do about your tendencies. See, you guys probably knew this, but that just blew my mind because I have spent my whole life trying to change my tendencies. I have spent my entire life trying to be different. But what have I found? Never can happen. And, and so recognizing this, it, that I can't change my tendencies, but you know what I can change? I can change my pattern, and I can change my actions. I can change the choice of what I do when I feel those tendencies are coming. And what does that do? That changes my consequence, which changes my reality. See, this is what staring at the law of liberty does for us. It helps us know ourselves so we can lead ourselves. So when we see what God has to say about us, that, that we fall short, that, that, that we are, are messy, that, that we are broken, that relationships are hard because of sin. But when we see what God has to say about us, we recognize those tendencies in our life. You know what we can do? I know it's so simple. We can change how we respond. We can change our pattern, change our action. And what does that do? It changes the consequence, which changes the reality. And the reality is God wants us to walk in new life. So what result of our tendencies do we need to change? What patterns do we need to change? What actions do we need to change in our lives? See, some of you right now are sitting at home and watching on your phone. And maybe you're watching this later on YouTube. And you're thinking to yourself, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, but I just really don't like what I see when I look in the mirror. I, I just really get pretty down when I look in the mirror. I, I don't want to look at the mirror. Looking at the mirror actually is what causes me depression, anxiety, and loneliness. But what Jesus is trying to, to say is we need to look at the mirror of his word and see what he has to say about us. Because when we stare at Jesus, it helps us to see that that mess we see, that's not who we are. I'm not defined by my past. I'm not defined by who the world says I am. I'm defined by who God says I am. And when I know who Jesus says, I am and who I was created to be, then I can grow into becoming that person to experience the new life that we have in Jesus. So as we close, I want to end with this. Two quick thoughts. How do we do this as a church? How do we make this our strategy to live out this mission? First, we gather together around God's word so we can know. We gather together. This is what we do on Sundays. 
This is why being a part of a, of a local church where you can come in, whether you're watching online or you're in here in the room, we gather around God's word. We open God's word. And, and as we teach and preach God's word, as we sing songs that stir our affections for Jesus, the Holy Spirit uses that to shape, mold us, shape us and mold us and help us see God, to help us see us, who we truly are. But second, yes, we gather around God's word so we can know but we scatter into Christ-centered community so we can grow. And see, this is why we, we come together for Bible study. This is why we come together for life groups because it's in those moments in a smaller group of people where God will use each of us in our lives by looking at his word to shape us and mold us and change us. And if you're not taking part in how God is, using, is bringing us together to know and bringing us together to grow, then we're going to miss out on, on the ways that God is helping us to experience new life in Jesus. So forefront, this is our mission. This is the, the clarity that God is bringing to us on how we live out this new life that we have in Jesus. And we're on this journey together. But I think God is wanting to call it to us today to say, look, you can never truly help others experience new life unless you know it yourself. So this week, here's my prayer. We just ask God to help us with this. We just ask God to help us get quiet, to, to spend some time reflecting on his word. We ask God, God, show me who I am and show me who you want me to become. And as we do that and we stare at the law of liberty and we persevere when it gets hard and it hurts, but we keep looking, God will change us from the inside out. Let's pray together.